Happy New Year, everyone. It's really great to see you. My name is Tim, if you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here at North Langley. I want to give a special welcome. This is one of the rare opportunities that we have to gather all three of our campuses together. So welcome to our Aldergrove family. Welcome to our Yorkson family. So glad that we can uh, spend this time together and uh, to just celebrate the beginning of a new year. So kids, I don't know if you guys have thought at all about your New Year's resolutions, but I asked the internet, and the internet told me some great suggestions for you. So I just offer this as a suggestion, no, no pressure or anything, but here, here are five New Year's resolutions for kids to consider. Number one, I won't give myself unsanctioned haircuts. Yes? Does that sound like a good idea? Okay. Number two, I will color on paper and not on the walls. Yes, we could do this. Okay, number three, I'll try to eat vegetables once in a while without a bribe. Can we do that? All right. I'll sleep in my bed all night. That's number four. Sleep in my bed all night. And number five, I will not make my parents read me the same book every night. Sound good? And adults, if you were looking for New Year's resolutions, any one of those will do for you as well. So please, please uh, note those. Well, I have another question for you. As we go into this new year, is there something that you're waiting for? And if it comes, would you be ready for it? Often a new year prompts a lot of reflection about the year past and what the year to come might hold. It's a a milestone of sorts that causes us to stop and look around and take stock. Maybe there's some good things that have happened in the past season, which is awesome. But reflection can also cause us to remind, it reminds us of the things that we're still waiting for, the hopes that are yet unfulfilled. Is it going to happen this year in 2023? We're going to have to wait till 2024. Is it ever going to happen? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting on God for? Would you be ready if it came, if God came? Maybe you're waiting for an answer to a prayer or a miracle and it's not coming. You've been waiting for that passport or the medical specialist appointment or a divorce to go through or a custody agreement that's fair or a job in your area of training or a house you can afford or a pregnancy or a family member finding freedom in Christ. Maybe you've experienced hardship in your health or your finances or in a relationship Maybe you're experiencing misunderstanding or mistreatment and the suffering isn't relenting and you're waiting for relief. Maybe you're seeing how the world around us just seems to be getting worse. The bad news just keeps coming at us from every angle. We're praying, how long, O Lord, will we have to endure this? Or maybe you're seeing promises in Scripture that are yet unfulfilled. That's a A big part of being a Christian is waiting for the return of Christ. And if we had control over these things, then we would have made the decision. We would have moved ahead. We would have done something. But instead, we find ourselves waiting. So if waiting is part of life, what is the right way to wait? What is the right way to wait, especially for God? Today, Jesus gives us comfort and challenge to guide us in our waiting. So I invite you to pray with me. 
Lord, we're reminded today of Jesus' parable about the seed on good soil, which stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Holy Spirit, we invite you to tend the soil of our hearts so that we may listen well with a noble and good heart that is ready and eager to learn. Teach us to wait well for your coming into our lives, both for 2023 and until you come again. Amen. Uh, Before I continue, I just want to give you a little heads up that uh, we are going to be celebrating communion uh, later in the sermon, and the tabs for opening this sealed container thing are a little tricky. So you may want to pre-pull uh, your, uh, especially the wafer side. So if you, if you need something to do with your hands while you're listening, you can busy yourself figuring out the communion thing. All right. Well, we are back in the Gospel of Luke. We left off there back in August, and now we're back in Luke chapter 12. And in this chapter, Jesus is talking about setting priorities that are aligned with His kingdom. Soon Jesus is going to complete His work and take His place as crucified and risen Lord, His place of authority. And His followers are going to be left to witness to His kingdom as they wait for His return. And so to prepare them for these days, He gives them teachings like this from chapter 12. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Seek His kingdom, for where your treasure is, there there your heart will be also. You get the sense that His apprentices are going to be facing some serious pressures and challenges in the season ahead. This is not going to be easy. Now, some of us have been through some tough training, maybe to be a firefighter or a police officer. You signed up for what you knew would be grueling, rigorous preparation. Or maybe you've signed up for an advanced degree, knowing that sacrifices that it will require of you over the next few years. You saw the challenge, and maybe with fear and trembling, you said, okay, bring it on. Well, as we hear these teachings from Jesus, we might be thinking, okay, okay, I'm up for the challenge, but like how long are we talking? Like, is this going to be like a year? It's going to be challenging for a couple years? Like, I could probably do that. And yet, in some ways, what Jesus is preparing His apprentices for in terms of timeline is something like the TV show Alone. Maybe you've seen this. It's 10 survivalists who are dropped off in a hostile environment with limited resources and a challenge to last the longest. Anybody a fan of Alone? It's a challenging show. Now, for most of these people, it's not their first time in the woods, but now they are alone with the wild animals and the weather and their own internal conversation, and there's no Cabela's nearby to pick up supplies. Other than death, there are only two ways out, quitting or outlasting everyone else. It's this grueling waiting game with an uncertain finish line. And so we're watching just going, okay, I wonder who's up for the challenge. This is going to be interesting. But each of them is sitting in their spot going, how long is this going to be? 
This is going to be a long, potentially a long wait. So what are you waiting for? Well, Jesus knows about the pressures that his apprentices will experience as they, as we wait. And he knows that the wait may be longer than we thought. So he leaves us instructions on how to stay ready and the importance of staying ready. He tells us a parable to help us understand what will be required of us in this time of waiting. And it's a story that teaches us how to wait for God, how to wait on God until He comes and relieves us of the pressures that we face as His followers. There's comfort here, but there's also challenge. So I invite you to read with me in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Jesus teaches these words. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, let's take a close look at this scenario that Jesus sets up for us. This is a wealthy man, because he's got a bunch of servants, and he's gone to his in-laws to celebrate what is probably his own wedding banquet. The party in this culture may go on for days. There was no set ending time that people could just kind of count on. And of course, in Jesus' day, you couldn't call or text ahead to say, hey, coming home now. You arrived when you arrived. Now, when we think about coming back to our own suburban home or apartment, we think about pulling the key out of our own pocket, right? And just entering our home without assistance. But we should kind of have an image in our mind of an estate that's guarded by the servants from the inside, something more like Downton Abbey or the security desk at the base of a corporate tower, especially if the weight for the master has gone into the nighttime, the door is going to be locked to keep out unwanted intruders. Now, Jesus makes it clear that the servants aren't going to know their master's itinerary. He could come much later than they expect, kind of like when you're waiting for a friend whose flight ends up delayed. But he could also come much sooner than they expect, like the burglar that Jesus describes in verse 39. But either way, the master will rely on his servants to be awaiting his return so that when he comes and knocks, they will immediately open the door for him. Now, this picture of a master or king who is away is used a few times in the New Testament to describe what Christians experience in the time in between Jesus' ascension and the time when he returns to make a new heaven, heavens and a new earth. Jesus is the master 
And the house that belongs to Him is a universe where His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. At the right time, which is unknown to us, He will have made all the preparations, and then He's going to bring His bride, the church, that's made up of all the resurrected saints who followed Him. He's going to bring His bride home with Him. And in that new heavens and new earth, Jesus and His bride, His people, are going to live together in love for all of eternity. This is the Christian's ultimate hope. And we'll return to that in a few minutes. But we could also envision this waiting time as that time between asking and receiving, between promise and fulfillment. In that area of need or hope in our lives, it feels like Jesus is away and we don't know when He's going to show up. So what are we called to do as we wait? Verse 35, Jesus says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master. So we can wait a couple of different ways, right? When you wait for an Amazon package, you know it's coming, but, you know, it'll come when it comes, and you do your thing at home, and one day, you know, at some hour, the doorbell rings, and there's your package. But another way to wait is the kind of waiting that you do when you're responsible to pick up an honored guest at the airport, right? You make sure you're there on time. You've got the sign with their name on it. You're there at the baggage claim, just scanning the crowd to make sure they're there. And when they come, you grab their suitcase and you've got gas in the tank and you know directions to their hotel and you've got their itinerary printed out for them, right? You're ready to welcome them. And that's the word that Jesus is using here. He's describing this ready to receive and welcome the person you're waiting for. It's actually the word that is most often used in the New Testament for how we make ourselves ready for the kingdom of God. So what kind of waiting are you doing? Jesus describes what that readiness looks like in terms they would have understood. The word be ready is actually the the idea of girding your loins. You ever said that to somebody? You should gird your loins. Try that this week. Do that at work sometime. I would think that'd be fun. They had these long robes, right? And, and those kind of get in the way of doing hard work. And so what they would do is they'd just take their long robes and tuck them into their belt. They girded their loins. So that's, it's, they're putting on their work clothes and making sure they're ready to work. And number two, they're tending their oil lamps so they stay lit. They didn't have electricity. Um, maybe the closest would be like, make sure your batteries are new. <laughs> um, and, and then you're not caught with your, with your light fading. The idea is that you're, you're not in your PJs, you're in your work clothes, you're alert and awake, not cozy in bed in a dark house. That way when the master shows up, he's not standing outside in the cold, humiliated, right outside of his own home. And when he comes in with his new bride, he's not entering a house in disarray with no food in the, in the uh, fridge, right? Now you might be thinking, well, that's nice. I'd love to come home to a house like that. But just, I mean, Jesus is speaking to this patriarchal, class-oriented culture. Again, imagine Downton Abbey more than returning to your own house. Although if you've got someone who's doing that for you, that's great. But in the same way, the master Jesus is calling his apprentices not to neglect the things that keep his house in order. 
He doesn't want to come home to a community that has let the house go to the dogs, like an irresponsible teenager when the parents go away. Now, Christians have a fancy word for the hope of Jesus' return. We call it eschatology. And sometimes we can get hung up. I know in generations previous, there was lots of fascination with graphs and charts and trying to figure out who the beast and who the antichrist might be as we read the headlines. And I think there's actually a lot of danger in trying to interpret the signs that way. For good reasons, many Christians today want to emphasize, you know, let's live in this present moment and see what God wants us to do right now. And I do think that's important. But at the same time, it's very tempting to become too comfortable in the here and now. This past week, Cindy and I attended an owner's update at the resort where we're staying in Birch Bay. You know, you get a few rewards and you come and they, they they update you and they try and sell you things. And the main thrust of the sales pitch was the epitome of our world's focus in life. You have to have your best life now. You don't have to wait for heaven. This is the only chance you're going to get. So, and by the way, the shares are cheaper now than if you buy them later, right? Well, as we begin this year of our Lord, 2023, it's a good time to ask, if Christ were to return today, would I be irritated at his interruption of my best life now? Do we want him to return? Do we long for him to return? Is seeing his face on the other side of the door really our deepest longing? Because so many temptations emerge as we wait a long time for Christ to come. Jesus describes a few of them right here in this chapter, in chapter 12. First of all, Jesus rebukes religious hypocrisy. The beginning of the chapter, he says, be on your guard against the yeast or the bad influence of the Pharisees. Author Brennan Manning once said, the temptation of the age is to look good without being good. Waiting for the coming of Messiah, the Pharisees had taken to micromanaging other people's obedience and not attending to their own formation. And that's so tempting to do. Today, religious hypocrisy comes in many forms, Christian and secular, conservative and liberal, right and left. It's trying to look good, or in in the words of our culture, to virtue signal, even though you aren't experiencing that, that goodness being formed inside. And we do this because it's easier to bother with other people than it is to take care of the mess that's inside of us. But I think we could all attest to ways that religious hypocrisy turns people away from Christ. It hurts people. The Pharisees tried to manage people's behavior with closed-minded, man-made expectations. But then when the Messiah showed up, they, they didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. Religious hypocrisy is not a good way to be ready. The second thing that Jesus rebukes is self-sufficiency. He tells the parable of the rich man whose wealth did nothing to protect him from his own sudden death. A biblical word for trying to be self-sufficient is greed. 
Greed is the belief that our ingenuity and prosperity and the gathering of stuff will be our salvation, our liberation. And that's why Paul names greed as idolatry, making what God provides for us into an ultimate thing, replacing the giver with the gift at the center of our lives. But material things can't hold up the weight of the world. When they fail in our lives, it leads to more and more worry. And when we're anxious like that, we we see threats everywhere. We stop being able to work together and arguments start about who gets what is left. Instead of coming home to a house well cared for, the master finds a house torn apart by his greedy children and everyone afraid to open the door. Self-sufficiency does not make us ready. And finally, Jesus rebukes self-indulgence. We'll see this in the next parable, which we will look at next week. But what he describes in chapter 45 is a manager put in charge of the house who, who reflects the sentiments of the wicked man described in Psalm 10, verse 11. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. And so he assumes he's free to bully and exploit people at will. But the master will return. And self-indulgence is also a poor way to be ready. See, while our Lord is away, while we can't see Him, we're forced to walk more by faith than by sight. So we face these temptations. Which one is the one you identify with? Is it micromanaging others to avoid taking responsibility for your own flaws? Is it just putting in more hours for more money or another shopping trip or just constantly rehearsing a discontent, the things that are missing in your life? Or do you tend to just indulge in your escapes even if it harms or hurts others? Well, Jesus wants to teach us how to remain awake ready to work with our lamps continually burning. So what does that look like? Well, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul expands on Jesus' teachings with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Like Jesus, Paul warns against the ways that we stop paying attention and become distracted when we've been waiting a long time. He describes readiness as a kind of armor, or you might call them our work clothes for the battle. And what are those work clothes? It's interesting, it's not just a honeydew list, right? Just a bunch of household chores to get done. It's actually faith, love, and hope. These God-oriented virtues have to do with how God helps us to relate to Him. In other words, they have to do with our spiritual formation 
knowing and being known by God, becoming like Christ, giving our consent to the Holy Spirit as He desires to form us. We stay ready for the Master's return by cultivating our relationship with God. See, the house that He hopes to find ready is my life, your life, and our lives together as His people. So what is faith and hope and love? Well, faith is trusting God and what God says. It's a capacity that God gives us to believe in God and to believe all that He said and revealed to us, especially in the Scriptures and in all the ways it's been taught faithfully through the history of the church. Faith is what God wants to form in us to free us from our self-sufficiency. It's trusting in God and what God says. Hope is the desire and the longing that God places in us for His kingdom, for His eternal life at work in us as the source of our happiness. It's that desire to become full of joy by our experience of God. And hope counters our tendency toward religiosity and the hypocrisy that comes out of it. Because there is no hope in, in self you know, in self-salvation. We abandon our efforts to earn salvation or to make other people earn salvation. We place our entire hope in the saving work of Christ and in the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And love. Love is that capacity God gives us to treasure Him above all things for His own sake. And then to seek the best of others because we love God. Love is the heart of spiritual formation. Without love, we're just acting and putting ourselves at the center. But with love, we become a transforming presence in the world. We live for the good of others, for God's sake, instead of only for our own self-indulgence. Faith, hope, and love. Spiritual formation. This is how we make our house, our house ready. So let's make that practical. How do we make ourselves ready for the master's arrival? Whether that's an area of need that we have as we look forward into 2023 or his eventual return. I want to make three suggestions. First of all, I want to encourage you to refresh your engagement with Scripture in 2023. If you don't have a scripture reading plan, I recommend to you life journaling. This is something our church does. And and whether you use our two-year reading plan, which starts today, or another reading plan, at the heart of life journaling is just the goal of meditating on the truth and beauty and goodness of what you read. It's a way of cultivating a home in your heart for the master, where the master knows that you love sitting with him and hearing what he has to say. And if life journaling is something that feels stale to you or doesn't work for you, then find another way to engage Scripture. Find other people to do it with. You can go back and revisit our series on engaging Scripture that we did a couple of years ago. Ask your life group leader or a pastor for suggestions or resources on how to do that. Secondly, I want to uh, 
recommend to you a simple daily prayer practice called the examine. The examine. It's a practice developed by a Christian named Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s as part of his spiritual exercises. He created this this series of, of prayer exercises that would give you an encounter, a deep encounter with the love of God. And what he counseled people to do was to take 10 or 15 minutes, not more than that, to review the highs and lows of the day has passed, as one description has it, with God's mild eyes. You can do that during your commute or on a walk or in bed at the end of the day or standing in line somewhere. Specifically, what you do is you pay attention to the ways that you experience God's presence and your aliveness as a person or God's distance and your darkness in the ordinary moments of your life. You talk to God about it and you ask God for what you need to move forward. The examine helps us to cultivate faith in God's presence with us and hope that even the worst day can be a place to meet God. It teaches us a deeper love for the people that we interact with. The examine teaches us to make our whole life from the moment we wake up till when we put our head on the pillow a home where our master is welcomed. And finally, many people have blamed the global pandemic for making it harder to engage with others. Fear of illness, of argument, or of obligation has impacted all of us. But we don't want our master returning to a house where everyone's retreated to their room and locked the door. He doesn't want to find the lonely and the vulnerable left outside. Jesus taught that the heart of the kingdom of God was a simple ethic. Love God with everything that you have and then love others as Jesus has loved us. So in 2023, for some of us, that might mean attending the next next life together so that you can join a life group or starting an apprentice group so that you can have people who keep you accountable to being ready for action. For some of us, it might mean signing up again to serve in an area of need in the church, such as kids' ministry or guest services or something else. For some of us, we may have a broken relationship that needs to be made right. Maybe we've been hurting people or alienating people with our actions, and we need to go to counseling to sort that stuff out. Of course, there are unlimited ways for us to love our neighbor at home, at work, and in our neighborhood. But why not make 2023 a year when you learn to love better, more intentionally, as you wait for Jesus to come? This is not about striving. It's not about trying to be the best servant we can be on our own effort or just getting God's honeydew list done. Cultivating faith and hope and love is about settling into what the Master has provided for us. See, the difference between this story and the the alone TV show is we're not left alone. Jesus tells us we are not going to be orphans, that He has sent His Holy Spirit to live in us and among us, to be our counselor and our advocate in the midst of all of this service that He's called us to do. So as we wrap up, this is where the parable takes an unexpected turn. You'd expect Jesus to say, you'd better be ready because I expect the royal treatment when I get home. 
But instead, as you heard in the children's reading this morning, surprise! Jesus says this about the servants who are found ready when the master returns. Truly, I tell you, the master will dress himself to serve. The master will gird up his loins and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. The master brings the wedding banquet home in honor of his servants. All the resources that they carefully tended on his behalf, they now get to enjoy. This is the generous heart of the master. You see, Jesus, our loving master, humbled himself to become a human being. In his own words, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He not only offered the riches of his kingdom, but his own life on the cross so that we could be forgiven and experience the love of the Father. And before he was betrayed and sentenced to death, Jesus gave his disciples a taste of what it was like to be served by their master. He gave all of his followers a meal to participate in that helps us remember the gift of salvation that he gave us. In the midst of our waiting, we're always able to return to this reminder of his presence and to be encouraged that the wait is worth it. And so, we're going to celebrate this gift, celebrate the generous heart of our master through the Lord's Supper now. just give you a moment if you haven't got your elements. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes these words, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. Paul continues, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. And Paul concludes with these words. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, His saving work, until He comes. Until He comes. The Lord will come. And by His Holy Spirit, He will help to make us ready as we consent to His work in our lives. So would you stand with me? What would it mean for you, for all of us, to be more ready for the master in 2023? Perhaps for you, you have never invited Jesus to be the master of your life. 
Wouldn't it be amazing not just to start a new year, but to begin a new life with Jesus in 2023? What would it be like today to welcome the Master into your heart? I'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe some of us need to consider what's distracting us from being ready for service. There's something that has kept our attention instead of the things that are important to Jesus. What would it look to look like to set that aside in 2023? Or maybe it feels like you've been waiting forever and you just need the strength to persevere. Maybe you're asking the master for a fresh infusion of faith and hope in your life. Where do you need that hope that the master will come with a heart full of generosity and share himself with you? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what an amazing truth it is that you who are master could could have just called us servants. But as instead, as you say in John chapter 15, you call us friends. And you come to be with us in your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we look forward to this year, it's kind of a, it's just an artificial marker in some ways to transition from one year to the next. And yet, it does cause us to reflect. And so, God, we are thankful for all the ways that you have shown up for each of us individually, for North Langley Community Church, for each of our campuses, for Bethel Church and the ways that you have led them to become part of us. God, you are faithful. And Lord, we want to trust that even in the year to come, you will be faithful. And we want to join in that ancient prayer of the church. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you fill our hearts with a a deep longing to see you face to face. And Lord, may that shape everything that we do in each moment, in each day. Make us ready, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.